illustration before? Well, why were speed limit signs put on our expressways and our streets in the first place? Some would say, oh, that's just a suggestion. And others may say, that's nothing but street decoration. But the reason that those signs are put there, it's for the benefit of the collective whole. They do it for your neighbors. They do it for your family. They do it for you. Because as you know in life today that you can even drive the speed limit and you know that there's still dangers lurking around the corner. There was a guy just the other day. He was driving. I was behind him and he was weaving off to the side. I said he must be on his phone. And sure enough, he was on his phone. As a matter of fact, he was going slower than the speed limit. But he was weaving all over the place. So, so just uh, doing speed limit is dangerous enough. We have heard, at least I have heard and seen enough accidents in my life to warrant to do the correct speed limit. But if the posted speed limit sign isn't enough to cause us to slow down, then maybe we need to reconsider how much we really value our lives. You see, by not obeying the law, people suffer the consequences, sometimes with a fatal result. Well, did you know that God, he has placed limits on us? That God has placed limits on the human race but much like those who drive cars who ignore the signs as they travel down the streets, do you know that sometimes we ignore or disregard the signs that, uh, and the limits that God has put in place in our life? <laughs> the result has been fatal. The result of the human race disregarding the, the limits that God has put in place has caused many to die. And those fatalities are eternal. But even among God's people, God still places limits in our life for those who say that they really love Jesus Christ. And they're supposed to elicit an existence of obedience and deep relationship with God. But again, some have failed in that pursuit. They have failed in their relationship with God. They have failed in their relationship with one another. What about you? Do you respect the limits that God has placed in your life? Genesis chapter 2, 
16. Genesis 2, beginning in verse 16. We are created in God's image, but we are not God. We are created in God's image, but we are not God. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of, the, of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Limits were placed on humankind, on Adam and Eve, while they were still in the garden. But, but why would the Lord command Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree even to start with? And I would submit to you, it goes back to the basic premise. Why would God create all that there is? Why would God place man and woman, husband and wife, in the garden and say, well, don't touch that tree because the day that you eat of that tree, that is, you will die. Well, doesn't it make sense that if God is all-knowing and all-powerful, He is sovereign, doesn't it make sense for God simply not to put the tree there in the first place? Doesn't that make sense? Well, God, why would you put that there in the first place? Some have suggested that this is nothing but a grand setup by God. That God was simply setting us up for failure. He created circumstances uh, for mankind to fail from the very beginning. So some say, I don't want to hear anything about God because if God was so true and God was sovereign and God was uh, omniscient and he knows everything, then he should not have placed that tree in the garden to begin with. It makes sense to me. Because, uh, think about your children. When you don't want your children to get hold to the mattress in your house, what do you do? You lock them away. Some still manage to find it. Right? Those really, those kids who are, you know, uh, we're not getting to that. But anyway, uh, but they managed to find it. See, that makes sense. If God is good, why didn't he simply put uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil into a vault? Oh, it's there, but you can't get in it even if you try. Why would God create anything and tell people not to use it when it had been easier for him not to have created that forbidden tree in the first place? Again, that makes sense. But I believe that the Lord wants us to know that even though he has given us stewardship over the earth, that we do not have a right to do anything that we want. So though we were created in God's image, we are not God. And since 
we are not God, we have limitations. In the book Paradise Lost, uh, the author writes of God uh, saying this to Adam, I made him uh, just and right, sufficient to have stood, though free to fall. So you're free to fall if you want, but you are free and you are right and just and everything else, but you still have the freedom to fall. Now, uh, the Lord, he did not initially place a fiery guard around the tree because did you know that uh, after Adam and Eve, that they, had, they had partaken off of that, off of that tree, uh, that, that God had placed uh, a fiery guard around it. Right? That which would have given them eternal life because God, he loved us so much. He says, if you take of that tree, you will be like the fallen angels, those who have sinned against God and they have no way back that they are eternally damned. Did you know that would have been the fate of the entire human race? So after they ate of the tree, he put a, a guard around the tree that would have allowed them to live forever. But we know what happened. The first people, our parents, they were seduced by another voice and tricked into thinking uh, it was not right for God to place limits on them. Uh, they wanted to brace, break the bonds of the Lord and says, no, uh, no, we know better. <laughs> Isn't that also like your children? Especially when they start getting that preteen, that teen, some of their 20s, and beyond. <laughs> they didn't want to hear anything their parents have to say because they've been there, they've done that, and they know it all. But they know a lot less than what they think. So God had already given the command for Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, but I wonder if they were thinking about the subsequent generations once they sinned. Were they thinking in advance? And of course, we can say no, they were only interested in satisfying themselves right now. You know anybody like that? Oh no, I'm only interested in how I can satisfy myself now. I could care less what the consequences are in the future, but right now, I just want to feel good right now. So God placed a limit on what Adam and Eve could have in the garden. Why? As a way to maintain love and trust. This is a way to maintain love and trust. Think about it. Not to eat from that one tree means trusting the decisions of God and trusting he knows better than we do and trusting that God is really looking out for our best interest. You see, that level of trust, it allows our relationship with the Lord to flourish. How do we figure this out? One of the very first things to happen after Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden tree was them hiding from God. Ah. So the first thing to happen after you eat 
from that tree is, now I want to distance myself from God. Huh. They wanted to short-circuit the relationship because they knew they had done damage to this intimacy, so they hid. But even though Eve enticed Adam to sin, and you do know that, right? It was Eve, it was the mother of all mothers that she was first, happy Mother's Day, to eat of the tree. You do know that, right? Y'all come on now. Don't forget Father's Day is coming up. Amen. We're going to buy somebody a, a trip on a plane to Japan. Amen. But anyway, uh, 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 that Eve, she enticed Adam to sin, and both sinned, right? But who did God call to test? God called Adam to task. Where you is, Adam? Right? Where are you, Adam? What are you doing hiding, Adam? So even though his woman was out of sorts, God says, uh-uh, uh-uh. You see, uh, who I'm going to hold uh, to accountability first and foremost is the man. Now we love our women. Amen? We love our wives. We love our mothers. Amen? And, 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 and quite frankly, uh, something simply would not happen without them. But men, look here. You are called to spiritual accountability over your household. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And you can reason all that you want, saying that you don't have time, I don't have this, and I don't have that. At the end of the day, when you stand before God, God is going to ask you, what about your family? You see, right now, you know what we men doing? What we do? We hide at work. You know what we do? We hide behind the television. You know what we do? We hide doing yard work. You know what we do? We hide with our buddies. Where are you? See? First thing that goes is the relationship with God when you uh, break the bonds of limitations that God has placed in your household. Because Adam was ultimately responsible for all the spiritual decisions that both he and his wife made. Ain't no, uh, you know, ain't no blaming her. You can go ahead and blame her if you want. Uh, did it work with Adam? And do you think it's going to work with you? But see, it trickles down. This is a true trickle down. This is what happens to our relationships again. We run and we hide. 
When damage has been done, we no longer want to be around that person uh, with sometimes uh, to translating into not talking to them because more talking only does more damage. Remember what happened between Paul and Barnabas? Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 37. Acts 15, beginning in verse 37. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement. <laughs> how, how do you translate that? They were mad. Well, at least one of them was mad. But they were so mad, what happened? They separated from each other. They were so upset. So some say, well, see, and, 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 this, is, and, and this can be a, a biblical principle, that sometimes when things get so hot and dangerous uh, in, in a relationship, sometimes there is time to separate. Right? Right? Because you know, Paul also says live with people as best as you can. But here is a case where the relationship uh, that it ended up with the separation. Why? Because of that main thing. These separations, this, uh, this uh, issue in uh, the relationships that we have, they result in separations. Divorces. Outside relationships. Hurtful conversations. Immersing yourself in hobbies, or again, just simply, it's better if I just don't go home. That one act of mistrust by Adam said, you know, God, I trust another voice over yours. Lord, I value a relationship with the devil than I value better than I value my relationship with you. Not realizing that you are creating this rift between you and your God that is going to ultimately mean that there's going to be a rift between you and your wife. Again, I said again, I've said it before, that once the relationship with God begins to go, then the relationship with the family comes next. All you have to do is just follow the signs. Follow the, I almost guarantee you that that's, that's the cause. So we think of the limits the Lord has placed on us. We should not think of it in terms of what we can't do, but in terms of the relationship we get to keep. The serpent wants us to look at God's limitation. You see, you had all of this. You, you, you scoped out all of the garden, more garden than you even cared to have in the first place. More garden than you have uh, to even to tend in the first place. You can have anything you want, but you can't have that. But you see what happens to us in our mentality sometimes. We focus on the thing that we can't have. Oh, I know I got all this, but I'd rather have that. But I know I got like a million other things, but I'd rather have that. 
I know I got a lot to do over here, but every time I work over here in the garden, God, all I can think of is that tree over there. Can't you see Adam now? I'm going to work. I'm going to work. I'm digging it up. I'm digging it up. I'm planting. I'm doing this. That tree, what? Or eat. Oh, I'm going over here to check. I'm going to name this animal. Hey, you an elephant. Hey, you a dog. Hey, you a this, that, and the other. Or what you say, tree? Right? That's one thing that we can't have. That's the thing that draws us, and that's the thing that pulls us. Uh, but, but God says, draw near to me, and I will do what? But you know, even God has limits. God that we think is, that we know is infinite, eternal, he's from eternity past, eternity present, eternity future, but even God has limits. What are you talking about? God is limited by his holiness. He's limited by his justice. He's limited by his righteousness, his love. He's limited by his compassion, his concern, and even his own divinity. In other words, God's holiness would never allow him to do evil. Never. Yet, his righteousness would never allow evil to go unpunished. You see that balance there? But yet, he has limits. And he would be unjust if he never dealt with wickedness. And I know that we say to ourselves, I, I hear what you're saying, preacher, man, uh, whatever you want to call me, uh, because uh, when, I look, when I look at life, uh, it just doesn't seem like that. I've seen all these folks getting away with murder, little murder. I, I see people getting away with all types of crime. So how can you tell me that God will punish wickedness? Trust me, God will in his timing. So God has placed limits on our lives, but we must learn to embrace them. And as we embrace them, we begin to mature in our faith and we begin to grow stronger. Now remember, God speaks through his word and through his church. God speaks through your parents. Sometimes God speaks through the authorities. Right? Some of you young folks, again, who uh, hate the police so much that you just want to do whatever you want to do. At the end of the day, when the police stop you sometime and you're doing crazy stuff, it ain't because you're black, it ain't because you're this, it's because you're doing stupid stuff. And God is trying to preserve your life through that officer, you see. So we must listen carefully and intently. And obey the Lord. But if the Lord placed limits on Adam and Eve, and that limit uh, didn't work out too well for the rest of us, shouldn't we therefore honor the other limits that God puts in place for us? So there are some other limits as well. What are they? Well, here's just a couple. That God has placed a limit on our physical activity. God has placed a limit on our physical activity. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 8. Exodus 20, beginning in verse 8. 
Well, you know this because this comes right out of the Ten Commandments. He says here, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not, uh, uh, not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gate. For, the six, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So children, you see that? So children, when you go home and your parents say, you, you need to get out there and cut the grass today, you tell them, did you not forget my loving mother that is Sabbath? When your dad says, I need for you to mop the floor, you say, hey, this is the day of rest. All right? So then, parents, you are to tell your child, okay, you need to get in there and pray then. And then when you finish praying an hour, you need to study scripture for an hour. And then we're going to have dinner. And then as soon as we ha finish having dinner, you're going to go pray for another hour. And then when you finish praying for an hour, you're going to go and study scripture for another hour. And then after that, we're going to have family devotionals. And we're going to keep that up on the day of Sabbath. You see, you can't say, I'm not going to do that, and then ignore God. Remember, the Sabbath, it was established for us. We're familiar with the principle of the Sabbath and even view it as a day of rest. Uh, this day is not about following a set of rules. It's not just simply about stopping, but it is about restoration. It is about relationship. Remember what Jesus said in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. He said, uh, the Sabbath was, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. This day was intended to renew our fellowship with God after spending so much time distracted during the course of the week. So if you are distracted while you are in church, then something is amiss with your Sabbath. If you can't get your mind on God, at least in church, there's a problem with your spirit. Now I know uh, there's great discussion even and disagreement even about when the Sabbath should happen. And all I can say is whatever. Make your Sabbath when it should be. Because maybe your days are... A little bit off kilter there. Maybe you need to have a Sabbath literally on Saturday. Maybe you need to have one on Friday. I take one on Monday. Uh, Sunday is part of my Sabbath, but in one, one essence, uh, I'm still ministering on Sunday, so I don't get a chance to really uh, to take a rest until Mondays. Again, what was the Lord after when he called for us to have a Sabbath in the first place? He said in Exodus 29 that the Sabbath was a day to the Lord your God. It is a day established to nurture our relationship with him. The Sabbath is a day which we are to renew our trust in the Lord on a weekly basis. The Sabbath is a day which our relationship with the Lord is strengthened. Remember, Adam and Eve damaged that relationship by discounting God's boundaries. But what about the benefits of engaging in a weekly Sabbath? It restores us spiritually and physically. I don't know about you all. You know, when I come to church, I feel so good when I leave. My relationship with God and my relationship with you all, I feel so good and, and built up. Even, even when I say things I don't want to hear myself say to me. 
because I figure that if, if God is still speaking to me, at least I know I'm still in relationship with him. But the moment you can't hear from God, oh, I don't want to be there because I can't hear from God. Why not? Because God's word is eternal. But we know what happens when we violate regular time with the Lord. We distance ourselves from our first love. Revelation 2, starting in verse 2. God says, I know your works. Jesus says this, your toil and your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. In other words, these Christians, they knew the word of God, and they knew uh, when they would find a, a false teacher or a false prophet, they knew all of that, and they were enduring. Verse 3 says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. You're fighting. You, you have on the full armor of God, and you're fighting for the things of God. And he says, and you have not grown weary in it either, that you continue to fight, even as the adversary throw those arrows at you. And then verse 4 happened. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember how passionate you used to be for Jesus? What happened? What happened? Remember how you, when you were first in love, and how all you could do is talk about that person that you love. You know, my baby, you know, this, you know, I, I'm so proud of my baby. And then your friends get so sick and tired of you. Yeah, you're always talking about your, 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 your wife. Or you're always talking about your husband. And then over time, nothing. Why? Why have we stopped talking about Jesus? About, oh, oh, how I love Jesus. Remember that song? Oh, how I love Jesus. Why? Because he first loved me. Jesus told those believers that their work for the kingdom was outstanding and commendable, but their relationship with him was decrepit. How is this possible to do all this work for the Lord and lose track of the love of Jesus? Again, that lack of intimacy and a lack of rest can heavily damage our relationship with God. Think about this for a moment. How often have you put your work on the back burner for Jesus? Now think of the last time you put Jesus on the back burner for your job. Which one wins most of the time? Is it Jesus or is it your job? Now, what are the repercussions for not getting enough regular rest for your body? Well, here it is. The stats are out. Increase risk of diabetes, blood pressure, heart disease, stroke, weaker bones, and cancer. Oh, just, just to name a few. Now, 
Which ones do you want because you disregard the limits of God in your life? Pick it. You want diabetes? Which one do you want? Blood pressure? You, you want to have a stroke? All because you put your work ahead of God when God says you shall have a day of rest. So, do you know, uh, we are, we already, we're familiar with all the big sins, lying, stealing, uh, killing, right? We're familiar with all those things. What about the sin of disregarding the Sabbath? Y'all still there? But isn't that something? God made sure that we worked in the first place. And work is not a punishment because it was given to us before the fall. It is the difficulty of work that is the consequence of sin. Sinfulness, however, causes us to view work in a twisted light. We think we will make the world better by getting less sleep. In fact, some people consider a lack of sleep as a badge of honor. Oh, I only slept two hours last night, but I'm up again, and I'm up and Adam adamant. Paul says in Galatians 6, 9, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will weep, reap if we do not give up. In other words, when we are doing good, we should not become weary. And if we do, we should check our spiritual temperature because something may be out of alignment. This is what Paul is saying. If you're becoming weary and well-doing, something may be out of whack in your spiritual life. God sees sleep deprivation as a violation of his principles. And when we violate his word, we sin and we suffer the consequences. What we do is take what the Lord has given us, in this case work, and, and we make it the end all and the cure all. So we discard the limits of the Sabbath for more work, which increases stress and introduces a strain to our relationships. Uh, yesterday I was watching a documentary and they were talking about, uh, uh, they were talking about uh, some of the, uh, the issues that are happening to uh, the white middle class now. The increase of death via suicide, opioid addictions, and a, a host of heart attacks, a, a host of other things. But what they were talking about was stress. That's what they were talking about. They were talking about stress. Why the stress? Because we think that we can work and make things better by what we're doing and what we put into our bodies when ultimately uh, the, the main problem may be with our relationship with God. We continue to cast off the limits that God has put in place in our life. And then we think what's going to fix it is by taking a pill. And then when we take a pill that destroys more of our bodies. It demolishes relationships. If you don't think it's true, 
Ask somebody who works all the time what happens to the family, family unit in the process. John uh, Wenamaker, he uh, used to have a bus that stood uh, in the Merchandise Mart in Chicago. He used to help the poor in Philadelphia, a lot of different places. Uh, he recalled uh, meeting a childhood friend who fell on hard times. And his friend told him basically that they locked him out of his little kind of skid row hotel room and he had no food. So Wanamaker, he was so moved by what had happened to his friend that he decided to feed him in his own restaurant. So he took him to his restaurant and he says, you order anything and everything that you want to order on the menu. And then he did so. And then he gave him uh, uh, enough money to pay for his hotel bill, for which he did. And then he says, you know what, I'm going to go one better than what I'm going to do. I'm even going to give you a job in one of my places. So with all that going for him, uh, when it's time for him to show up to work, he never showed up to work. So the hotel clerk called uh, Mr. Wanamaker and said, oh, I need to tell you something that the man that you were talking to that you fed at your restaurant, that he, he, he died. He said, why did he die? Basically, he died from overeating. Don't allow your cravings to make you ignore God's limits. Don't allow your cravings to make you ignore God's limits. Numbers chapter 11 beginning in verse 4. Numbers 11, verse 4. Now the rabble, I, I love that word, rabble. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt. It didn't cost us anything, even though they were slaves, right? They remember the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlics, the barbecued chicken and the ribs. Lord, those greens. Oh, we remember that when we were there. Verse 6, but now our strength is dried up and there is nothing to look at all but this manner to, this manner to look at. Remember, they despised the provisions of God. Yeah, I know your car may not be what you want it to be. Yeah, I, I know maybe your house is not what you want it to be. As we was reading earlier, you know, uh, the elders, before we came out, Scripture tells us to not only pray without, without ceasing, but in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. Don't despise how God has provided. So God has placed limits on what we do with our bodies. He has placed limits on what we do to our bodies. 
Here in Numbers, the Lord made provisions for his people in a place where there is nothing. There are no restaurants, no vending machines, no neighbors with farms. None of that stuff existed. The people were totally limited in what they could eat and what they could drink because they were in a desert. This was a place of God's design. Can you say that? God's design? Is it possible that the place that you are today is because that's where God would have you? But much like us, when we don't have what we want, we complain instead of seeking the heart of God. And you know, sometimes the very thing that you want is the thing that you don't need. We think we need a greater variety of food when all we really need is the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, well, in that case, just fast forever. If you fast forever, you're going to die. You will surely die if you don't eat. Right? Some of us think that all I need is that right man or that right woman. And God said, no, you don't. Amen. God wants you to be consumed with him. So the limits the Lord has placed in your life is to get you, to get us to focus on him. I think this is where we as parents sometimes fail. Because we don't want our children to fail. Therefore, we give them everything they want. And anytime they fall on hard times, what we do, we come and rescue them. And the moment that we rescue them, what ends up happening is it delays uh, what needs to happen in their life. You see? Uh, yeah. But these are our kids, you see, right? We don't want to see them fall on hard times because we love them so much. These are our children. But sometimes, you know, when they're going through, you just have to let them go. You just see, okay. As a matter of fact, sometimes you have to give them the right foot of fellowship. I know, I know, but, you know, it's a reality. Because sometimes they'll never learn. So, uh, ignoring God's limits turns us away from Jesus. The Lord never wanted this uh, uh, for us to turn away from him, so he desires to draw near to him. Uh, even now, the Lord is calling us to himself. A.W. Toza says this, people must pursue God. On our part, there must be positive reciprocation if the secret drawing of God is to eventuate in identifiable experience with the divine. End quote. In other words, God is drawing us, but we must respond to his drawing. To help us get there, we must not ignore the limits he has put in place. And as he opens our hearts to his word, we need to respond. And obedience doesn't produce believers in Jesus Christ. But true belief always produces obedience in a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm not sure which and where you have broken the limits in your life. But I know for sure that God is calling you to reevaluate where you are today. He wants you to respect the limits that he has placed in your life. Let's pray.
Father, what a word. Scary sometimes. It frightens us sometimes, Lord. 